Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Total Italian Football Serie A podcast for Match Day 24. I am Ewan Burns, and I've got two friends with me. I've got Kev Pozielski. How are you? Uh, yeah, I'm good, Ewan. Thank you very much. Is that it? That, yeah. Really much expansion from you. I know, and as I, as I started talking, I thought to myself, oh no, I've really got nothing else to say, <laughs> say here, so uh, <laughs> yeah, let's keep it short and sweet. Well, you've not long come back from Madrid, have you? Did you have a nice time? Madrid was Madrid was lovely, yes. Um, if the Madrid derby was a little flat in places, um, yeah, it's nothing on Syria, obviously. <laughs> get, get us our Genoa derby back. <laughs> um, Vito Doria is also here. Vito, I believe you've been in Sydney, have you not? How was that? Uh, look, I was in Sydney for about four days. It was okay. Um, I've had better trips there. Um, the thing that ruined it was my hotel had bed bugs. So, oh, a no. bites, yeah, a few bites on my neck and my right arm. So, that spoiled it. Yeah, so you haven't brought them back, Vito. So, you haven't brought them back, lad. That's what I'm hoping, you know. As soon as I got home, I left my laundry and whatever I brought back from Sydney in the garage and I hopped straight into the shower. <laughs> and burn all your clothes. Oh, um, look, the thought ran through my mind, Burnsy. I got to tell you. And maybe it's not such a bad thing because I probably do need to buy some new clothes anyway. The clothes that I've got at the moment are a bit loose on me, so... Surprisingly, oh, I need. Uh, yeah, I've lost ten kilos in three months. So I've got yeah, the I've got the opposite yeah, problem. Where I'm having to I'm having to slim down because I can't hide hide under jumpers for much longer because it'll get too hot. Uh, that I need to just let go of. Yeah, some, <laughs> some, of the, some of the buttons yeah. don't do up as as, as nicely as they. Never mind. Well, a, a mixed trip then, because. Um, at least you're able to strut about feeling like a lighter man, but you were also getting bitten in your sleep. Yeah, um, that's right. But anyway, football. Match day 24, we've had nine of the ten games Juventus versus Udinese play on Monday night. We're recording on Sunday night, as is customary. Um, it's been loads of goals. So then Tana 1, Empoli 3. Um, incidentally, that game was it for people in Zaghi. He's gone. Um, Calgary one, Lazio three, Roma two into four, so I swallow one, Torino one, Fiorentina five, Frosinone one, Monza nil, Verona nil. There always has to be one, but on your four, Lecce nil, Genoa one, Atalanta four, and Milan one, Napoli nil. I'm going to, if there's no objections. Start with Milan, even though Roma Inter is more entertaining, but just for the sake of it having ended not too long ago, and I know that Kevin, at, at least Kevin, was in position to sit and watch it. Recently, um, yes, <laughs> um, yeah, Milan won. It's very tight game. Was it tighter than you expected, really, Kev? Because you know, given Napoli have been largely crap. Yeah, absolutely. It was like there were. What were there? There were 14 points between the two sides before the game. Um, a stunning stat I heard during the game was that Napoli, since September, haven't won back-to-back games. Um, so obviously beat Verona last week. I probably wasn't expecting them to, them to win this. Um, 
but they controlled a, a, a lot of the possession, a lot of the game. Milan scored for a really, really, really good sort of passing move, and then they almost retreated a, a little. They they had probably they, they should have probably gone two 0 up with Liao early in the second half, but other than that, sort of even without Osman, um, which is probably why Napoli had sort of no cutting edge. They I say they had all the ball. They looked fairly comfortable. They were cutting out most of the the Milan attacks. It was, it was, it was cagier than the than the contest they had at the end of last season when they were both in the Champions League quarterfinals. Um, but at least both sides looked, you know, equal. You you know, if you were watching this without any of the context around where they were sitting in the league, you would have thought both sides were about the the same place, really. Um, whether you would have. You know, said that they were both sort of up there and challenge of Champions League places because it was quite a uh, uneventful match, but they 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 at least looked on a par with each other. So the problem is now that Napoli, uh, they just they're just not going to pick up Champions League qualification now, um, and Milan might throw away their chances in the Europa League because they somehow decide that they think they're in this title race because they're. Um, Point, two points away from Juventus. I know Juventus have got the uh, the game tomorrow night, but uh, yeah, it was it was far far closer than I expected it to be. Luto, we, we talked a bit last season. I think Kev made an article on this, or, or it may, it may have been you actually, Luto, um, on Milan putting up like one of the worst title defenses ever last season. Well. Obviously, Milan weren't very good last season. They, they've not been especially good at all this season. They are 17 points ahead of Napoli now, having played one game more. But they're 17 points ahead of the team that won the league last season. And Milan only got into fourth last season thanks to Juve's um, points deduction. That, yeah, in terms of games, they were, they were fifth. That's quite mad. I mean... This has to be the worst one, doesn't it, surely, Vita? Yes, and uh, I was the one that wrote the article for title-italianfootball.com. When I was doing that article, I thought, you know, there were some pretty bad slumps, and also you would have to consider that with some of them, they came from teams that were not your traditional powerhouses, so you could understand why, and... In Milan's case, the defence last season was disappointing because of the stature of the team that they are. In this case, the, this Napoli one, surprisingly, is probably going to leave the others for dead because you look at how fantastic they were last season and how incredible the run was, and you look at them now, they just look like an absolute shadow of the team they were. They don't have the same completeness they're not as prolific or clinical and it just seems that there are just so many cracks appearing and also you have to address the fact that Aurelio Di Laurentiis picked two poor coaches to replace Luciano Spalletti it does it does have sort of echoes of Napoli's last title win where they finished sort of eighth um, when Sampdoria won the league in 1991 and Maradona had kind of fallen out of favour maybe with the uh, the politicians around Naples and, and a few others after 
asking the Neapolitans to boo the national anthem when they, you know, Italy met Argentina in the World Cup. So that sort of loss of your talisman, um, they've not had a complete, they've not had a complete sort of fire sale of the squad that won the league last year. But you could argue that Spalletti was as much of a talisman for the for the team as any player on the pitch. Um, but to to finish to do that in the modern era when you know there's there's not so much sort of jumping you know, because we wouldn't get a although Sampdoria very good back then weren't they um, but you wouldn't get a sort of Sampdoria coming through and then sort of challenging for a title the um, just because just it's made me sort of stare at the table a bit more um, Napoli and Inter have played the same amount of games now this Inter team is fantastic but you wouldn't necessarily say it feels like a generational team or you know one that's going to be talked about for years and years and years um, they've got 25 points more than Napoli. They've, they've got their five points off having double Napoli's points. Kev, that, that's weird. It it is weird. But I was thinking this the other day because I was I was I was trying to I think I was trying to think about how it could go into a a, a piece for piece for the website about how actually it feels like Inter are this generation's team as a but without being that, you know, like, like you say, that sort of generational. If you think what they did, they won the they won the title. They were very close in the second year. They've got they got to a Europa League uh, final under Conte. They've won consecutive uh, Super Coppers uh, or two Copper Challenge. Anyway, they've been picking up, and they're going to pick up another league title here. And it just feels like they're a better they're a better sort of team for a prolonged period than we give because it hasn't sort of stretched to that sort of Juventus style that where they have eight in a row and but yeah there's something there that we probably undervalue the quality that Inter's been at for a prolonged period now because we've had a Neapolitan title we've had the other side of Milan win the win the title and because they haven't sort of put back to back title wins together that we we don't value them as much but and, it, and probably because it crosses over two coaches. But then, you know, that was the same thing that happened at Juve, you know, and with the, one of the same coaches because it was that Conte and then the transition to Inzaghi. So actually, I think it's probably, there's a piece, maybe I'm talking myself into an article here. I think there's a, there's a piece to sort of, you know, proclaim the value of, of what has happened at Inter since they came in. I know a lot of it was, was money generated um, when they had all the huge investment to start with under Conte. You know, but but where isn't that the case in in European football? Yeah, you could say they've they've maintained a certain level over the past what five years or so, which can't necessarily be said for Milan and Juve, even though there's been um, or, or Napoli. I I feel like while whilst Inter, it's not like they've been winning the league every season or anything. You know, they've not. They've not won it under Inzaghi, although they almost you'd think they will this year. Um, the Champions League final been, there as well. That's the thing, that they've been right up there the whole time. Whereas Milan Juve Napoli seem to have quite big peaks and troughs over the past like few years. Um like I say, Champions League final they've largely cleaned up domestic honours in the last handful of seasons. Um but Anyway, we, we've we've strayed away now. We uh, <laughs> the uh, the game itself tonight. Um, Teo Hernandez scored the goal, and it was a very nice goal as well. And he's one of your favourite players in the league, isn't he, Kev? So do you want to just talk about how good it was for a bit? 
Um, he, well, yeah, he's one of my uh, favourite players, shall we say? Um, I was, uh, it was just a wonderful passing. But yeah, it, to be fair to the lad, he started him. You know, it, the game was very sort of chess-like. You know, just con- controlling possession, twenty-five minutes, and then he was the person really decided to to drive forward, pay the ball into Giroud. Giroud didn't, well, actually did on the UK broadcast. Got plenty of credit for the sort of first-time ball off to Liao. And then uh, Liao sort of controls it because it comes comes to him at, at quite a pace and then just sort of lofts. I don't want to call it a through ball because I always think of those as more sort of between two defenders and along the floor. But it wasn't quite over the top of uh, Simon Cow, but it was, you know, it, it went beside him and then Hernandez did excellent to sort of run on, control it first time because... Galini, while probably out of position, meant that he was closer to Hernandez than Hernandez would have liked in normal circumstances. So he could only really take one touch and then sort of side foot it around him uh, into the net. So lovely, lovely finish from a lovely passing move. We're going to the capital, folks, because probably the most, just checking the scores, yeah, the most entertaining game. Um of the weekend was Roma 2 into 4. Um, this was sort of perfect ingredients coming into this one because obviously Roma have been on a sort of mini resurgence under um, Daniele De Rossi. They had won three on the trot. Um, one of them was a 4 0 win as well, in which they were very, very good. And they're going up against an inter team that we just know are good. Um, we kind of saw both sides of that in the first half because. Inter took the lead, albeit after Roma had started really well. Um, Inter took the lead, Roma then scored twice and were ahead at the break. And you think, well, they they, they actually do seem to, you know, they're, they're not just beating teams towards the bottom now under De Rossi. They're, they're actually leading the league leaders. Um, and then Inter just kind of flexed a little bit in the, in the second half um, and scored three times. Buto, do you think there there are positives for Roma from this game, despite the fact that you know it, it, it is still the first defeat under De Rossi? I still think there were positives because if we're talking about individual performances, I thought El Sharari looked particularly dangerous in that first half, and Lorenzo Pellegrini got two assists. So from that perspective, it was good. Uh, in general, I think. The team looks a bit more confident now. Uh, they're not as cagey or rigid as they were under Jose Mourinho. So with De Rossi, they play a bit more with the handbrakes off. Uh, they play with a bit more of an attitude where they have nothing to lose, if you like. And I think that against Inter, it was always going to be tough, especially at home, considering that the Nerazzurri are the Serie A leaders. But I think... Moving forward, I reckon Roma have a lot to be positive with. And before we let uh, Kev say his piece, I think another downside with Roma is just I don't think Rui Patricio is good enough anymore. I think there have been some games in the past with Roma where he was good, but I think this season in particular, I've just been quite disappointed with him, his positioning, his reflexes and his judgment. So for someone with his experience... I probably expect a bit better from him. I was going to come in with a couple of observations, but I've actually got a third because Vito's mentioned another one that I sort of jotted down. 
which was Patricio. And Berlin, folks. it's just that I can't, I can't ever remember because obviously he was, he was in the UK for a while. So I saw him play for Wolves, but I can't ever really remember him having a good game. And I can't remember like how he got to being, you know, almost like Portuguese number one. He must've been for some time. And he's always had quite a high, uh, sort of, sort of standing as goalkeepers, but I've, I've never, I've never, he's never sort of filled me with confidence. So just echoing what, what Vito mentioned there. I think because, um, I was watching the highlights because I didn't get to see the game live. I think my observations were less focused on the game, and it was just when Mancini scored the uh, the goal to equalise. Um, I realised he went over and uh, put the ball up his shirt to. I'm assuming symbolise that his partner or that they're having a baby if they've not got one already, and just made me think. I bet that baby's going to be the biggest shit house in like the nursery. You know, you just know he's going to be the one that's going around digging all the others, stealing their milk or whatever, or you know, waking them up. Stealing or, their milk. Yeah, I don't know. I just couldn't. I just, I just couldn't sort of picture anything else after I saw him running away like that. And I just thought, oh, what a, yeah, what a terrible bloody child that's going to be. Uh, you know, the, the sort you want to like, trip up as they're running, you know, outrageously you around the supermarket. Well, you know, it's, it's, an unborn child. As part I'm, of your I'm sorry, but that's analysis. his father's. That's his father's problem for um, sort of leaving that with him. And then um, the uh, the other thing was was Angelino, who I, I hadn't realised had gone to Roma, but he's also gone to Roma and and chosen the number sixty nine uh, shirt. And it always, it, you know, it clearly not born in sixty nine. So it always makes me think of like what is the choice of like the sixty nine shirt because obviously it has certain you know links to sexual position and so I, so I had so I had so I had, a, so I, had a, I had a quick Google because I thought to myself surely he hasn't gone in I and gone oh yeah no I want sixty nine uh, and apparently it's just because he got that at city he got that in the city youth structure and then when he went to uh, NAC Breda and he ke- he kept it and then I think he went somewhere else. But it was when he went back to City, they gave him a different squad number. And he fully then, at that point, understood the connotations behind the 69 because he jokes about that he's not going to take it again, sort of laughing, trying to... And I, yeah, as you can find this, like, he can't keep a straight face because he knows what it means now. And I just... It then just makes me wonder, where did he learn? Did you know? Was he like a 14-year-old, a 16-year-old, whatever, and got the number and they just say, oh, yes, your number, you're 69. You know, we've got a squad... We're Manchester City. We've got a squad of, like, 250 players. So you've got 69 boom end of because I wonder when he then sort of realized it because there was a sign that they held when he played for New York City FC that said Wynum Dynum 69 Angelino and so they clearly knew the color and so you know and it just uh, I just love that he's gone to Roma and gone oh we you know we're fine we're not like Spain we don't have to have one to 25 uh, I can have whatever I like so I'll have 69 and probably said it with a raw smile on his face and wondering if anybody in Italy uh, pays any attention to the to the to the number, but there you go. Made me chuckle. <laughs> I did want to talk about Andalina because um, he he ended up having a a bit of a stinking game actually um, in this one, but his debut against Calgary, he was really good. Um, he was he's he, he's a very weird player. Like, was he playing I, I, traditionally as a fullback? Yeah. Um, it feels like he, sort of wing yeah, kind of, he feels like higher. someone that could play higher and he'd yeah, be yeah. better for it. But he, um, he's, a, he's an odd player because when he sort of appeared at City, I remember thinking 
he he's good. Like they've they've just sort of got another good player, and then he disappeared. I mean, look at his career; he's played everywhere. He's had a really odd sort of career for a player that, at least when he's at it, he's a really good player. Because um, he um, he was at City, and then like you say, he went on loan to New York City FC. He's been at um, Girona, he's been at Mallorca, he's been at NAC Breda. He signed for Eindhoven permanently, then signed for City again, then signed for Leipzig, then he's been at Hoffenheim, Galatasaray, now Roma. He also represented the Galician national team um, in 2016, which is fun. <laughs> I'll tell you <laughs> what, he that. wore 69 for most of those clubs. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what he wore for Galicia. Um, but yeah, he's had an odd sort of career, but he, he was he was really, really good against Cagliari. Um, and he is that sort of player that it, it's almost like, obviously not quite to the level of Dybala, but it's having a, a, a Dybala-style player sort of on the wing he's 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 got that sort of delivery um but yeah he got a bit unlucky with the way that the goals kind of went in in the second half that he, he seemed to be on the scene for <laughs> for a lot of them and not not in the best manner um the other thing i'd say with roma is that um you know there's no shame in losing to um the team that are essentially champions elect at this point and also even the scoreline 4-2 the, the final goal was very much symptomatic of the situation. It was in like stoppage time when they'd committed all the players forward. Um, so I think the overall performance definitely was a, a vast improvement on what would have, would have happened were this game played a month and a half ago or whatever. Um, the other signing that kind of crept under the radar slightly was, um, at least it, it felt like it was Tommaso Baldanzi because I really like him. And I didn't even I hadn't even spotted the links towards the end of the window to be honest. And then suddenly there was just a tweet being like he signed, um, and that feels like Deep the sport the of player. Yeah. Oh, good. Look, um, I was remembered where he was. <laughs> <laughs> that that's the sort of player where this whole idea of Roma can't do anything unless Dybala's there and playing well. He is of that ilk. He's he's that manner. You know, he's not as good as Dybala, but he's he's young and he is the same sort of player. Um, same stature in the sense that he's absolutely tiny. Um, and it just seems like quite a smart little move that because there will come a time in the near future, you think, where there isn't Dybala and they're going to need that creativity replaced. Um, just for that that top four fight, incidentally, while, while I'm sort of slugging off Napoli with the table, the gap between them and fourth is seven points. So it's it's actually not mad like obviously they, they, they've got no momentum or anything um but it is really tight that that whole fight um roma are now four points off it but they have played a game more than the two sides above them um vito if you sort of have a look at that fight as it is right now for fourth who are you backing at the moment or does it just keep changing all too often I think it's changing all too often. There are a few reasons for that. Atalanta, they look like they're going to be the Atalanta of a few years ago. They're starting to get back into that rhythm, have that attacking flair and just obliterate whoever's in front of them. Roma have turned the corner against, I mean, since De Rossi has arrived, but you don't know if that's going to be sustainable. 
However, um, they still have enough quality. And as I addressed earlier, they are a much more confident side under De Rossi. And I also think that uh, Bologna, as, um, you know, as, although their team is not overly strong in comparison to those teams around them, uh, they've started scoring more goals in the last few weeks. So that was one of my criticisms of the Rosso Blue, that they weren't scoring enough. Now they're starting to score a bit more, so maybe they might be like uh, Atalanta, you know, just just put the goals away for fun and just, uh, yeah, just roll over the opposition without much fuss. Because I was doing a, because I was doing a bit of a write-up for the, for, you know, for the Napoli piece this afternoon. This afternoon, this evening, this not tonight. Um, this afternoon, um, I was looking at the, I was looking at the sort of fourth place finishes the last sort of five seasons in Syria, and and on average, it's been sort of seventy three points will get you um, Champions League qualification, you know, the fourth spot. So then I was just convincing myself that Napoli were completely sort of out of it because now with their fourteen games left, they'd have to win on average about two point seven. Uh, yeah, two point seven points per game, which is effectively winning the rest of your games. So while some others are only sort of six or seven points a- ahead of them in the race, it feels like none of this sort of current crop are going to sort of return those sort of you know consistent runs of wins and things. And I wonder whether we might actually see sort of the lowest ever points total for the team that finishes in fourth, because um, it just doesn't feel like any of them are sort of taking control or going to sort of post those numbers to get to the. I think mean, I think mean, Inter actually the fifth year of the years I was looking at was the, was the lowest points total for a team that had finished fourth of like sixty nine points. Um, so it feels like it could be any one of them really, but it's going to be somebody probably through the others not uh, not taking control. But I'd put Atalanta there as the front runners at the moment, having watched them against Genoa this afternoon. Well, if we combine this discussion with going through. The rest of the games, because um, to be honest, the, when, when you look at the results for for Napoli and Roma, this is a stinking weekend. Obviously, they play teams higher up in the table that are sort of in a different bracket at the minute. Um, but Lazio, Fiorentina, Bologna, and Atalanta all won, and they all won well. Um, Lazio beat Cagliari three one. Um, Chiromobili got his two hundredth goal in Serie which is very pleasant. We, we talked off air about how the the commentary said he's the fastest player to do it in the modern era. Um, take that as you want to take Like We're, we're not 100% sure what that actually means. <laughs> I'm sure there must be... Um, you know, he needed the, a rebranding of Serie A in the 90s. That's what we needed. <laughs> um, just like Premier League. Yeah, to cut all the rest of the history away, and then it doesn't count, and we can all count from zero again. Um, but yeah, they won convincingly. Although I've got to say, Gianluca Gaetano's goal for Cagliari was absolutely gorgeous. There, there was lots of really good goals this weekend, um, and then that Atalanta game, Kev, as you mentioned, that was full of good goals. Um, Getelier in particular, that's that's like goal of the season contender um, because. The, the touch is good, but I would, you know, it, it, it sort of the touch is more good because of what he did after. But the the way that he volleyed that into the top half volley, whatever, into the top corner was absolutely brilliant. 
Yeah, there's something really nice about a touch with one foot and a strike with the other almost all in one movement as you're turning. Yeah, always mentioned way... that on Regal again. Yeah. I think it was against United, wasn't it? It was, he, yeah, a hybrid, he yeah. touches it with his back to goal and just turns and volleys immediately. It wasn't quite like that, but it was a similar sort of goal. No, but it also didn't go sort of to the, to the you know, far enough to the left of the goalkeeper. I think it's because it had this arch in how mm. he sort of volleyed it over the goal. I'm not forgetting the goalkeeper. Oh, Carnes. No. I'm no, goalkeeper. The goal. uh, Martinez. <laughs> yeah, Martinez, who actually had a really, really good game. Uh, there was one point at the end. Well, I know they, they ran out four, um, four one winners, but uh, at the end of the game, he pulled off sort of three stunning um, consecutive saves, Martinez. Mm. Um, he keeps catching my eye. Um, but, you know, we <laughs> I won't go there this week until he, you know, gets a clean sheet or something. But, yeah, the way the ball sort of looped over him, well, you know, even lo- it was it was arrow-like, but with enough of a, a curve to sort of, you mm. know, put it past the goalkeeper and just make it look aesthetically pleasing. I wondered if for a moment there you were going to try and give player of the week to a, a goalkeeper who conceded. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I've, I've been trying to give it to Arnautovic for getting an assist in the Inter game just to piss Connor off. So <laughs> you never know. Connor, you piss off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, the yeah, it should be said in terms of the, the goalkeeper. Atalanta's third and fourth goals were ninety plus ten and ninety plus thirteen. Um, but Malinowski scored a brilliant goal, which if, if you can picture in your head a Malinowski goal. It was that. Um, that one. Yeah. Uh, Cutminers then scored a really nice free kick as well, which in any other game would be like a big deal. But compared to the previous two goals, it was actually not as good. <laughs> all, all lefties, I think that's part of the. Zafikosta scored towards the end, and he not only didn't celebrate, but he sort of actively went out his way to apologise, um, which I don't mind, to be honest. And. Quite a nice thing. El Bilal Toro scored his first goal. He he, he was, I don't think he was a record signing in the summer, but he was, he was a, a, a sizable signing in the summer um, and then immediately got a really bad injury. And this is the first time I've seen his name this season. Um, I don't know if he maybe made the bench in a couple of games previous to this in the last couple of weeks, but this is certainly his first goal, um, which, you know, it's only one goal coming off the bench late on, but if if they have another good forward to chuck into the mix, that, that could actually be a decisive thing in um, in that Champions League race. Um, Fiorentina, they scored five um, against Frosinone. Vito Andrea Bellotti scored. How many is he going to get between now and the end of the season? Your choices are five, ten, or twenty-five. Five. <laughs> Fair enough. Nice, nice and positive there, Vito. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I, look, his form in the last few years hasn't been impressive. He's battled with injuries, but then last season at Roma, he was atrocious. And even at the start of this season, he looked good in patches. But, um, yeah, I don't see anything that's going to really indicate to me that Bellotti's just going to go on a run and go all guns blazing, even though this... Fiorentina side is a lot more attack-minded than the Torino and Roma sides that he played in. I personally don't want Fiorentina to score any more goals at the Artemio Frankie because, I don't know, you've been there this year, haven't you, Ewan? Yeah. As of I, yeah, as of I, and they definitely scored goals when I was there, 
but I do not recall that bloody awful horn noise they were playing after every goal. <laughs> you know, that sort of uh, R&B. Tim, is it Tim? Yeah, Tim Westwood, um, who's, you know, controversially probably not <laughs> doing much these days. Um, yeah. uh, he used to play that uh, every goal. And I just Go get, on, like, do, do that again for the boys and girls at home. It's like oh that noise, uh, yeah. yeah that that oh, I, like, oh I don't my remember that God. happening. Was oh, you just watch the highlights five times. Yeah, they, they, they like didn't, didn't, didn't do it for the Frosinone goal. Oh, that's all I could hear. It was like <laughs> when 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 teams were playing in lockdown, and I remember Liverpool. They used to play that Blur song too, fucking music, uh, which I think was a FIFA music. As you know, when I was a kid, um, on one of the sort of console games. But yeah, stop playing. I hate goal noises music. when goals. You know, the, the 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 Munich one, the Bayern Munich one, is somewhat funny. Yeah, there's a couple you can get away with just because it's been sort of if, if if there is a an element of tradition about it rather than just playing something kind of yeah, some like sort of Bavarian trying to engineer a vibe. Trombone band, isn't it? Mm. it actually, has a Munichish vibe rather than this bloody awful horn. Like the the Real Madrid music they play is it, it, I don't mind that in the sense that it just feels iconic. Um, when you hear it from like massive games and stuff, as long as it's not happening to you, um, Nico Gonzalez scored a deeply nice goal, and the last goal in here was from Antonin Barak, Kev's favourite midfielder. Oh, absolute worldy first of the season. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I had nice people to find this goal in the highlights because, yeah, the way it powered into the back of the net was quite. You got to put your body on the line sometimes for your love, for your craft, <laughs> and uh, and and our boy Barrack does that. Just in case nobody checks, it didn't even hit the net. <laughs> <laughs> it trickled over the line and got stuck, swiped away, but then got given. It still um, got a. <laughs> that was a much better impression of it than the than what you did before. I was holding um, back. I was holding back before. I've grown in confidence. It's, <laughs> it's not been completely thrown out of uh, pod, podcast discussions. <laughs> um, and the other team that won in that little fight, Vito, was Bologna. Who, like I said, they, they, they had a bit of a dip, um, but they seem to be edging back into the swing of things. They've won the last two now. Um, yeah, they beat Lecce 4-0. Sam Bukema scored the first goal, which was the 600th of the season. Um not his 600th, that's that's of everyone. That's a team effort, in case that needs clarifying. Um, so that includes Barracks one as well. <laughs> um, but Ricardo Orsolini scored twice, and again, one of them was really, really nice. Well, I mean, they're both good goals, but one of them was really nice. Um, have they kind of weathered the storm now, Vito? Or do you think they are going to sort of fluctuate a little bit for the rest of the season, Bologna? I reckon they fluctuated the storm. On the basis of the last two games, they've scored four goals in each one. And I think that was one of the things that I was a bit disappointed beforehand because they were only just scoring one or two a game. So it felt like that Bologna were a team that had a lot of meaningless possession. Now all this possession and chances being generated are now counting for something. And another plus is having a fit Orsolini back because he does bring a bit of an X factor and consistency was an issue for him. This particular performance was was good, well, was very good, but uh, the second goal in particular for Ricardo Calafiori to bring the ball out like he did, and he plays as a centre-back, 
and uh, it was a fantastic assist for him. And then to lay it off for Salinta to smash the ball home, yeah, was a fantastic um, second goal for Orsolini. And I think going forward, the Rosso Blue, they've got a few more options. So if they can sort of, you know, be a bit more prolific in that final third, I think they're still in with a good shout of getting a Champions League position. At the other end of the tabla, um, Empoli beat Salernitana, 88th minute penalty from none other than Mbaineyang, who's back on the scene, folks. Um, and then Matteo Cancelleri scored as well to sort of put some gloss on it. Like I said at the top, Nzagi is gone now. What's quite funny is that they can't slap the Davide Nicola button because Empoli did it um, a few weeks ago. And I hadn't clocked just how um, effective that button has been, actually. They're 15th now. Is it eight Was it eight points from 12? Uh, oh, I can't remember what they said yes. at the end of the highlights. Yeah, two wins, two draws. Um, yeah, they're, 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 they're up to 15th, albeit that the gap to... 18th is only two points. It is very tight down there. Um, but we we kind of, early in the season, it seemed like Empoli and Salentano were, were both almost write-offs. And it was all about who else would join them. Now you'd say Salentano do genuinely look like a write-off because they're, they're, they're six points from safety, but it's just the fact that you just cannot see where a win comes from. Um, but then you've got Calderia in 19th with 18 points. That's Five five points takes you up to fourteenth. So there's a lot of teams battling to not join Salernitana, and Empoli look a lot better now than they did before. Um, which are they going Salernitana to win? will be really happy to go to Inter next, won't they? <laughs> yes, that could be forty-five nil potentially. That's on a Friday night. There's it two is. Friday night games. There is, I'm assuming yeah. that is to assist into Champions League chances, maybe. You'd, um, you'd think so, yeah. Um, Monza versus Verona was nil-nil. I'm not going to ask either of you about it. You are well within your rights to know nothing about what went on there. If you have something you want to say, then speak now. But if not, we're moving on. Lovely. Perfect silence. Um, final game, so Swallow won. Torino won. There was early signs of a barn burner here because the two goals happened inside the first nine minutes from uh, Pinamonte and Zapata. And then nothing else went in. Um, it's a decent point for Sassuolo, really, because they, they are they are down there. Um, they're only one point away from the relegation zone. And Torino are just so distinctly 10th. Um, the points gaps aren't massive now, but I swear they've been temp for like the entire season, maybe occasionally going ninth. Um, so definitely a better point for Sassuolo than Torino. Has anybody got anything they want to say about that game? All those teams in a more general manner. No, only I realise I've, I've, I've sought out Monza highlights and forgot to seek these out. So actually, I probably, <laughs> probably made a boob there. <laughs> Ooh. Uh, wait, did you watch the ones I like? Yeah, because I try and just How go through them. But, um, I just skip them. Oh, they can't have been very long. But when you're on your TV and just going through the YouTube highlights, um, mm. it's a bit hard to navigate through. They never do them in order, do they? They'll do like two Serie A games 
the and then it'll be, and then it'll be an ad, then it'll be an interview Syria the Syria channels, you know, put yeah. on. They don't just go, oh, here we go, you know, Friday's games, Saturday games, Sunday's games. So it's um, a bit a bit painful when you're not doing it on the ta- on the laptop. It's nice so they they do continually try and make content that isn't just highlights. But if you look at like the Selena Sander Impoli um, highlights, has got 141,000 views, and then. This like head-to-head Lukaku Lautaro video thing they made um, shortly after has got seven point four thousand. Uh, the the drop-off is mad, um, but hey, at least I try. Um, I think that's us because it, it, it's all going to get a bit weird now. The um, the calendar because on Wednesday it's Bologna versus Fiorentina. That's part of match day twenty-one. Um, but the rest of match day 21 isn't happening. That, that's going to be later. And it's all scattered, right? If, if you missed that one where we explained all of that, I'm afraid I'm simply not explaining it again. There's four more games to be played of match day 21. That's one of them. The others will be in, in the future. Um, and then, yeah, match day 25 is you've got two Friday games and you've got three on Saturday and then the rest on Sunday. It's sort of another slightly weird one. Um but yeah, I think we're done. Also, one Champions League game squeezed in there for good measure. Lazio um, on Lazio on Tuesday. And then I'm assuming Inter and Napoli the following Tuesday and Wednesday, just yeah. to make our lives really easy. And Europa Wait, League on Thursday. Is the Champions League definitely? Yeah, Champions League. But and then it is yeah it, for the Europa League. It's the the knockout the round last 32 thing. which they're now calling the playoffs or something rather. yeah because Roma are away at Feyenoord Milan are home to Rennes preview Ooh, coming up people mm-hmm. <laughs> I actually can't remember what happened to one of the teams that I follow in regard to European football we went it entirely didn't we <laughs> uh, yes you did Yes, yeah. you did. Yeah, right, just checking. I was just looking through the Europa League thing, and I was like, have we got a tie against somebody weird in here for, for just finishing <laughs> third in the, in the Champions League? But no, uh, we... and, and interesting, when I asked you if you wanted to have dinner one night this month, I was off looking for United fixtures as well, trying to work out if they would impact <laughs> our evening. Next up is Luton. <laughs> <laughs> Rather than Ludogorets Rasgrad. Um Patreon, go over there, patreon.com forward slash total Italian football. Um, there will be the women's podcast with Connor and myself. There's a, there's a midweek, we've obviously had weekend games um, just now, and there's going to be midweek games as well in that. You don't often get a midweek set in there, but we have got one because we're getting towards the split now. Um, there should also be some sort of other bonus podcast later in the week on there um yeah i've decided we're done please always like to say goodbye to everybody goodbye kev would you also like to say goodbye to everybody goodbye (laughs) was that an attempt at the noise again (laughs) just nothing came out (laughs) Uh, uh, i probably i probably muted i'm muting myself to uh to to Uh, is that what it was yeah, I suspect so. <laughs> Sorry, everybody, you've missed that. I'm not doing it again. <laughs> right. Bye. Ha ha ha.
Squadra che mi fa cantare 